lesson for this fourth Sunday in Lent is found recorded in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, beginning at verse 4. They set out from Mount Hor along the road to the Red Sea to go along, to go around the land of Edom. But the people became very impatient along the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Look, there is no food, there is no water, and we are disgusted by this worthless food. The Lord sent venomous snakes uh, among the people, and the snakes bit the people. As a result, many people from Israel died. The people went to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed on behalf of the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a venomous snake and put it on a pole. If anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will live. Moses made a bronze snake and put it on the pole. If a snake had bitten anyone, if that person looked at the bronze snake, he lived. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning at the fourth verse. But God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He also raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He did this so that in the coming ages he might demonstrate the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel is taken from John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the, death, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the basis for the judgment. The light has come into the world, yet people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. In fact, everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light, or else his deeds would be exposed. But the one who does what is true comes toward the light, in order that his deeds may be seen as having been done 
in connection with God. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded from Luke chapter 2. It is verses 1 through 20. This is the Christmas account. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first census that took that was taken while Quirinius was governing Syria, and everyone went to register, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the town of Nazareth, into Judea, to the town of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary his wife, who was pledged to him in marriage, and was expecting a child. And so it was that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There were, in the same country, shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude from the heavenly army, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward mankind. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Now let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they told others the message they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed by what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. The reason for this Christmas account at this time of the year is because of our sixth stained glass window, which is our first window of the New Testament. As you heard uh, that on the west side, all the windows, the five of them, are all of the Old Testament. The four windows on the east side are all the windows that represent the New Testament. And of course, the Christmas account is the very first one. Now, if anybody, for those who know, Dr. Dwight Johnson, who is the artist to all our stained glass windows and a member of this church, for those that know him and know me as well, the two of us love to give each other a hard time. 
and to always tease each other. And out of all the windows, this is the one that I complain to him and tease him the most about. Because I've been telling him that when he went and sold this window and collected the funds in order to do this window, that he should have charged $5 less because he didn't put in the window the Christmas star. And so I've been telling him how I'm going to take a post-it note and put it where I think the star should be. And on that post-it note, I'm going to write future home of the Christmas star. But with all kidding aside, is this is one of my favorite windows because it reminds me of one of my favorite seasons in the church year and even in the calendar year. This window reminds me that Christmas is not about Santa Claus and elves and, and cooking and, and Christmas cookies or decorating trees or buying presents and, and opening them on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, whatever your tradition is. But rather, this window reminds me of what Christmas is truly all about. Jesus is the reason for the season. In fact, Jesus is the reason for all the seasons. Now, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament was about 400 years. And during that 400 years, God did not speak to a prophet through direct revelation, either by a vision or a dream. And this was not the first time he had done this. He had done this other times uh, in, in world history. He didn't always communicate every year by direct revelation to a prophet. And of course, during that, that intertestamental period, there were a number of books that came out that many believed were quite God-ordained. Dr. Martin Luther would, would refer to these books as they were good readings, but they weren't on the same par as the Old Testament books and the New Testament books that were clearly, clearly written by human writers who were verbally inspired by the Almighty God to write the very thoughts and words of God. Those intertestamental period books were called the Apocrypha books, and you will see Bibles that include them. Many do not. But it's interesting that for the Old Testament, the last prophet to receive a direct revelation was the prophet Malachi. And you would have thought that the very first one that would receive, after 400 years, direct prophecy would have been Mary, the mother of our Lord. But it actually wasn't. It was a guy named Zechariah who was actually a priest. His wife was Elizabeth. They were both up there in their age. And Elizabeth was barren. The Lord sent the angel Gabriel while Zechariah was in the temple praying for the people and revealed to Zechariah that he and his wife would have a son. And they were to call him John. And he would become known as John the Baptist. 
And he would come for a very important reason. He would come because he would be the forerunner as prophesied back in the Old Testament. He would be the one who would prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And he would do that with the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he did just that. He even said to two of his disciples when Jesus was walking by, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when I hear that, when I hear not just those words, but God sending the angel to Zechariah, it reminds me that God had a purpose, that God had a plan, that everything was not willy-nilly, that God was not simply going by you know, the seat of his pants. He was, had a plan, and was carrying everything out perfectly according to that plan. And therefore, when Jesus came, he came in keeping with that plan, yes, but in keeping with the plan at the right time and at the right period in world history. He came, politically speaking, at the time when Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome and had control of just about the whole known world at that time, was conducting a census because of his own vanity and wanting to see how many people he had in his country. Well, God took that vanity and used it in the very coming of our Savior and the moving of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth up in Galilee down to Bethlehem in the region of Judea, just a few miles south and west of Jerusalem. So, and all of this taking place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Both Caesar Augustus and Quirinius are names that we have found in world history and certainly dug up through archaeology. These are real people. They're listed as real people. You see, this entire section, this entire chapter, does not read like a fantasy. It does not read like a fairy tale. It doesn't start out with once upon a time, nor does it end with and they lived happily ever after. Everything is presented as a fact because everything is a fact. It is an absolute truth. And therefore, it is absolutely true that the Lord sent the angel Gabriel to Mary to tell her that she would be with child. And when she asked, how can it be since I am a virgin? Oh, the, the holy angel made it very clear how the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and that the Holy One to be born would be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. It is absolutely true that the angel came to Joseph in a dream, telling him to take Mary home as his wife and not to divorce her, because, what, because she, she is with child, and that child is going to be the Savior. You are to call him Jesus, which literally means Savior. It is absolute truth that Joseph and Mary would make their way down to Bethlehem where they 
would register because that they were both of the, of the tribe of David and, and they're going to the birthplace of David. And it is absolutely true that there was no place at the inn for them to stay. And keep in mind that the inn was also the hospital at that time where we find Mary and Joseph is they were no doubt with the animals because we were told that the child was laid in a manger, an animal feeding trough. It is absolutely true that our Lord and Savior came in such a humble way and certainly fulfilled the words that he himself spoke when he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what our faith is founded on. Our faith is not founded on wishful thinking. Our faith is not founded on what's considered fiction. Our faith is founded on not simple stories that were handed down, so to speak, by tradition. Our faith is founded on the absolute truth and historical fact that Jesus is our Savior, who was born of the Virgin Mary. Our faith is founded not on what a coulda, shoulda, but our faith is founded on the fact that Jesus did come and pay for the sins of the world. He is a Savior like no other, and this is the hope we have. For our faith is founded on a hope that is absolute and absolutely true. A hope that is guaranteed and a hope that says through faith in Jesus heaven is your home. And it is also an absolute truth that angels came to the shepherd to announce the birth of the Savior. At first there was one angel, and then there was a whole host of angels. And in the beginning, that first angel that came also came with the glory of the Lord. We're not told what that looked like, but it must have lit up the sky because it shone all around. The shepherds, of course, were terrified. This was a sight you don't see every day. And besides, they're sinful human beings, and now standing before a holy God or a holy angel had to be even frightening. And what comfort to hear that the angel would open with the words, do not be afraid. And not simply, don't be afraid because I'm telling you so, but here is something you can seek, sink your teeth into. This is the meat and potatoes. Do not fear. Because I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy because a Savior has been born. He has taken on human flesh and he is born of woman. From the offspring of woman, from the seed of the woman. When Mary gave birth to Jesus, that was fulfilling the words that were spoken to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. to hear that this Savior who was born is Christ the Lord. The word 
The Old Testament word is Messiah. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. Both words mean the same. They mean the anointed one. And there were three offices that required anointing by oil. And that was prophet, priest, and king. For the Savior to be called the Christ or the Messiah means that he is the one that was long promised. He is the one that was foretold. But more than that, he is the one who's going to come and serve as a prophet who proclaims the absolute truth that he is the one that fulfills all of scriptures. He comes as a king, in fact, as the king of kings, because he comes as the almighty God who has taken on human flesh. He comes as the king of kings who rules the universe for the good of the church, for the saving of souls, and to the glory of his holy name. But above all, he comes and serves his prophet who gave the ultimate sacrifice, his very self, as our substitute, paying for our sins so that we could be blessed with the most beautiful gift that could ever be given, the most beautiful Christmas gift that absolutely no one can afford, but it's given by God freely. And that is the gift of forgiveness. This is the Lord, this very Savior. And the word Lord reminds us of the words that were spoken to Moses at the burning bush when God announced himself as the great I am. This is the Son of God who was made flesh, the Son of God who took on human flesh, fully God and fully man. He was man and took on human flesh so that he could live that perfect life that we could not live and that he could offer that and suffer that punishment on the cross that we could not suffer and live. But he did it for us. And, and in addition, because he is God, that means the sacrifice he's made, the salvation that he has won for us, now counts for everyone. And that is what the angel was announcing. Because I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. And he came to pay for the sins of all people. Without exception. His invitation is to believe it. And we trust. Just as the whole host of angels said, we trust in Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward mankind. Oh, he didn't just simply bring us peace where we now learn to get along with each other, where there's no more wars and rumors of wars, where we can finally start acting like people who are trying to create a heaven here on earth and finally be nice to each other and stop all this fighting and bickering that we so often see going on. Oh, I wish, I wish that the world would act like that. But the peace that he brought was far more than that. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. This isn't peace that simply is based on be good for goodness sake. This is peace founded on the fact that sin has separated us from God. 
but it is Jesus who reconciled us with the forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life. This is the peace that heals our souls and that our souls so desperately yearn for. And it is God's gift to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. How did the shepherds react? Well, they went after the angels left. They, they went and checked it out and saw with their own eyes that what they were told is certainly true. But then they didn't stop there. They couldn't keep it to themselves, what they had seen and heard. In fact, they went and told everyone that they had seen what had happened. But then they did not stop there. They, they continually praised God and gave God all the glory. And then we hear of Mary, meanwhile, pondering and taking this all to heart and holding dear to her heart what she was told and what she saw, the mother of our Lord. These words remind me of what celebrating Christmas is really all about, but more than that, it reminds me what worship is really about, especially when we gather together for public worship, when we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ around word and prayer. We also gather to give God all the praise and glory, give God all the credit. We can't boast in ourselves, and nor can we take credit that we've been once again good for goodness sake. No, it is God who has saved us. It is God who won for us salvation, and it is God who deserves the credit and glory forever and ever. And along with praising God, we too cannot keep this glorious message of Jesus and all that he has done for us. We can't keep it to ourselves. We too share it with others, and God bless us to do just that, telling people what we have seen and heard from the absolute truth that comes from God's holy word. And we too join Mary in pondering all this in our hearts as our greatest treasure to be dearly valued as we take to heart the grace of our God and the salvation that Jesus has won for us all. So it is to the praise and glory that this nativity window, this stained glass window, is dedicated in this house of the Lord. It is to the glory and praise of our Lord God who kept his promise, who took on human flesh, who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom to many. In fact, we dedicate this window to our very God, who is, without a doubt, the good news of extremely great joy. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.